When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times, now with goals. Hello and welcome to The Game, the football podcast from The Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti. Quick reminder, if you missed the Premier League highlights, remember, you can still go back and watch them. Even though the season is over, all you need to do is download The Times app to your smartphone. It's pretty awesome. Now, in the studio today, I'm excited because we have Alison Rudd. I'm even more excited because we have James Scowcroft. And I'm most excited of all because down the line from the Great Northeast, we have George Kalkis. So, it's the final week of the Premier League season. It's um, it's all over. Uh, so, we're going to do things a little bit differently. Uh, I don't know about you guys. There's no point to me picking out individual games because I was watching three at a time yesterday and I was getting kind of bored. So, I said, let's look forward to next season since hope springs eternal. Manchester City crowned champions. Uh, Alison, I'm going to start with you. What do you do next? Well, I really like the fact that Pellegrini didn't get overexcited about winning the title. Um, he's, he, he did come in for some criticism over the season for not being passionate enough, for not providing journalists with enough sound bites. That calm demeanour actually came through and it, it won the title. And he, he treated Triumph in exactly the same way. And he said, we'll celebrate for, mm, let's think now, we'll celebrate for one day, maybe two days, and then we get down to business and we talk about how to build on the success and make sure the club grows and grows and grows. Which I think if you are a supporter of that club, you would be, you'd already be delighted, but you'd be extra special delighted because that is exactly what you want from your manager. No sense at all that that's all he wanted. It's just wonderful that he thinks it's the starting point for something else. He's lucky because he's going to have the money to cherry pick who he might like. Financial fair play permitting, of course. And then, of well, that is, that's the other side. That's the other side to it. But for James, now, that's a nice approach. Um, James, what would you do if, if, they, if uh, Khaldun hires you as a consultant and says, you know, I like all these people, but um, I, what would you do, James, with the squad? What would you be looking to do? Um, maybe someone to play in midfield alongside Yaya Torre. Maybe a wide player. I don't think you'll see Man City go out and buy a quantity of players like they have been because I don't think they've uh, with financial fair play now I think they'll really have to uh, rein it in a little bit but I think maybe a wide player I think certainly up front they've got many different options they need a centre half possibly to play alongside company you know in all other positions they look pretty uh, strong 
Mr. Nasty should be hopefully fit uh, next season, and uh, I think he's ready to kick on too, but I, I agree with you on, on the center back. George, not that I always have to relate everything back to Newcastle in my questions to you, but um, you have a situation with City of a club with a large, important fan base, a big metropolitan club that after decades in the wilderness has uh, won two league titles in, in, in three seasons. Can you talk a little bit about how expectations obviously change for the fan base, perhaps drawing a parallel with how expectations changed for Newcastle supporters the last time things became good? Well, I suppose there is that there is that sort of tradition at City where, you know, where if things can go wrong, they do, they do go wrong. And I think they've, you know, they've probably put that to bed now in the last two or three years. So, I mean, that's kind of an interesting change, change to the psyche. It's, it's the kind of club like Newcastle where if there is some sort of forward momentum just like with negative momentum it can be very powerful and they do have that they do have that now so I suppose it's about it's about sort of challenging ch- channeling that the next step obviously to go back to that question is is the Champions League and is to make further inroads there it's quite interesting what will happen over the next few days with with FFP because you know that's directly tied into that and a, a smaller squad as is uh, has been mooted wouldn't wouldn't kind of help that process very much um- one last thing on City. I'm just curious here because and I'll direct this to you, James, because you're more Mancunian than I am. Every single City fan I, I feel that I've met, or 99% of them, tell me that they were City fans before Mansoor. And I kind of get the impression that they're telling the truth, unlike other clubs that suddenly got a mon- money. Like I can name many Chelsea fans who didn't know where Chelsea was before the, the late 90s. Is that the case? Do you get the sense that sort of people are coming to their game and becoming City fans or people are switching their allegiance to City or is it a case that a lot of people would rather see City win or a lot of neutrals would maybe support smaller clubs would rather see City win than Liverpool or United or, or more or bigger names? No, I think Manchester City have always had a, a decent fan base. You know, it's never been anywhere near the size of Manchester United's. But I, I think if you look is at... Is it growing, I guess? Well, it will do. You know, success will bring that. That's, that's inevitable. But I think, you know, if you look back before... The new owners come in. They still got forty, forty-five thousand in the new stadium. Um, Main Road always got thirty, you know, thirty plus. So I think they've always been a well-supported club. Whether they can grow into a one of these superpower clubs, I'm not so sure. I think that's you know several generations down the line. Um, but I think you know they've always had a core fan base. You can't argue with that. All right, next up, Liverpool, which for me is one of the one of the stories of the year, and not just because you know. Moving five places on the table is is difficult. Moving from seventh to second is extremely, extremely difficult. Alison, we've played, we've praised Brendan um, all year, and we've also criticized him when things didn't didn't quite uh, go right at the back. What do you tell him if he comes to you and he says, Alison, what do I need to do? I don't like the transfer committee. Tell me, what do I need to do? Is it really just get different central defenders in? Or are these guys so bad? But probably um, the teams we're going to discuss about the next season, Liverpool are the most interesting because there's been a, a gush of love for the style of play tempered by a lot of sniping criticism that it's almost not real because um, all Brendan Rodgers had to concentrate on was the league. Teams he was up against had other fish to fry and Liverpool were relatively lucky with injuries I really can't think of a significant injury they had. And they were blessed with pace, which Brendan Rodgers built the team around, I would argue, and said, go for it, hence the 
sudden turnaround in the number of penalties they awarded and the number of fouls they enticed. The, the crucial thing for, for Rodgers and Liverpool is is how to... I mean, for example, when, when a team uh, is promoted and does well, it's you know, second, second season syndrome. Everyone now knows how Liverpool play. They will set up differently next season against them and they will have pressure of expectation and they will have European football. How all that is melded together to produce still a team? That, I mean, you know, is the priority to still produce scintillating football or is it to be a bit more pragmatic and try and juggle balls in the air? That That's why they're the most interesting team. Which direction do they go in? I... I I would offer if Rogers decided the priority was to try and replicate this season, he'd be going down the wrong path. I think I think he needs to be more pragmatic. They will have Champions League to deal with next season, so that's uh, you know that'll test the squad. They need a bigger squad, showing that you can do it all over again is the test of a good team. I mean, you know, it's doing it once is is great, but doing it again and again and again is the test of a good team and. Again, as Alison says, that you know the, the whole question of style is interesting. They've played some absolutely beautiful football this season. Kind of st- the stats show I, the dichotomy in some senses. Um, I don't think any team lost fewer than their four away games in the Premier League equally. Only the bottom three, Sunderland and Stoke, conceded more goals away from home. Rory K. Smith, who's not here because he's on holiday again, likes to say that um, Roberto Martinez and, and Rogers, one of their big things is the improved players who are already there through coaching, and it's kind of the return of the coach. You're a coach. Is it, what's it like? Is it flicking a switch when you're dealing with, with, uh, with, with a professional? Uh, do you buy into it? It's just putting people to, to, to do their natural jobs? <clears throat> I think you've just said it. It's getting individuals to buy into what you want them to do, really, and then getting them as a group to buy into what you've done. And, and both you know, Martinez and Rogers have done that this season at Liverpool. The philosophy that they want to play, and even I think it was it West Brom away where Torre made a mistake trying to play out from the back. West Brom got the ball and they scored, and he just come straight out. He said, "Don't worry about that. That's you know that's the way we want to do. You're going to make a mistake. That can happen." Where some managers would, you know, go completely the other way. So that that's a sign of a good manager, a good coach, coaching his players, giving them the confidence to play the style that they want to be. And I think to be fair to Brendan Rodgers and Martinez, they've both done that really, really well this season. Jose Mourinho made his return to the Premier League and uh, did not win the title. He finished third, which I think is, if memory serves, I think it's very rare for him not to finish first or second. Ten years it's been, I think. Ten years since Mm -hmm. he finished third. Yeah. Well, there you go. George, the ready-made alibi is that he didn't win the title because he didn't have a good striker. Are you going to let him off that easy? Uh, Yeah, probably. Um, (laughs) I mean, you know... there are times when you, you you know you watch them and they're such an incredibly athletic, powerful team. And you know the, the one part of the the one part of the side that doesn't conform to that is up front, where they are, you know, where they are relatively flimsy. I mean, I think with a with a twenty goal striker, it would have been a it would have been a different story this season. I know that's you know that's easier said than done, but it's the one part of the team which isn't Mourinho like. And um, or hasn't been Mourinho like, and I think that is the most obvious. James, when you when, when you look at this, so you've played for for clubs that had slightly more um, limited budgets than uh, uh, Mourinho's Chelsea does. Do you accept that alibi, or do you go and ask questions about? Well, hang on a minute. There's a director of football here. There's scouts up the wazoo. There's some kind of there's very clever people at this club who get paid a lot of money. How do we end up in this situation? Well, it's probably their own doing, really. If you look at Lukaku at Everton, how he's done what he's done at Everton and he's not been in a Chelsea shirt that is somebody's 
lack of judgment somewhere, isn't it? And I think if you go back to Liverpool, Daniel Sturridge you know, never really fitted the bill at, at Chelsea, but you know, in Liverpool he looks absolutely, you know, that's one of the, the best strikers in the world at times this season. You can't blame Mourinho for that. For no, you Sturridge. can't. But, uh, you know, going back to Brendan Rodgers and Martinez, a massive mystery to me is Fernando Torres when he's come to Chelsea. At Liverpool, he was absolute diamond dynamite. You know, you, you looked at his... He had everything a modern-day centre-forward wants to have. Now, it's obviously just lack of confidence that he's, he's suffered with from Chelsea. And I think a really good manager could probably instil that with him. And I think if Mourinho would have been a little bit more clever at the times, I think he could have got a hold of Torres. I, I thought at the start of the season, I think I said it to you, Alison, didn't I? I thought Torres would do really well this season because I thought Mourinho would really get him and, you know... It's jolly decent of you, James, to admit he got that completely wrong. <laughs> What's that? That Torres didn't come good this season. No, he hasn't, no. But I thought Mourinho would sort of instill his confidence back into him. It, it's, you know, like he does. You know, I think Mourinho's man management skills are very, very good. But for some unknown reason from early on, he just wasn't having a centre-forward at uh, Chelsea. You know, certain games, he didn't even play with a centre-forward. His first game at Old Trafford. You but know, do you, no, you really, no do you really think Mourinho's a nurturing type? I just don't... He's not like that. Listen, a good manager gets the best out of what he has to work with. So if he's got to work with Fernando Torres, his job is to get the best out of Fernando Torres. And I don't think any Chelsea manager has got the best out of him. So then they've offered... I, thought, I, I think there were signs of that at the start of the season, as you, as you were saying. I, I thought the same. I thought Torres came... He sort of looked like an angry, angry striker at the start of the season. And I thought that uh, that that could be, you know, that that could be um, sort of Mourinho's doing, but it has tailed off, you know. And I think I think they need a refresh there. All right, you know, moving to North London with a situation at, at Tottenham where they uh, sold their prize asset, reinvested all the money in the team, then the manager was let go, or some people say uh, sacked himself. Then Tim Sherwood came in, said some funny things, didn't actually do badly points-wise, and then was gone. James, do you have any idea what what Daniel Levy's thinking and what he should be thinking now? Because it just seems like everything's kind of shrouded in mystery in terms of the new manager who's staying, who's going. I think they've certainly lacked a voice this year, haven't they? They've lacked guidance from the very, very top. Um, And I think Tim Sherwood certainly has been frustrated with that. We're led to believe that a new manager will come in, whether that's Mr De Boer, we don't know. But I think Tottenham really need to get the club by the scruff of their neck now and, and get going in a direction because they've just gone round in a big circle for me last season. George, I was kind of surprised by how they, you know, well, two things. One is everybody kept saying, though, well, but they spent $100 million and they did kind of net out. But also, some of these players are, one of these players was just hurt most of the year, some of their new signings. Uh, others weren't good um, or didn't perform well, like Soldado. Would it be a would it be a tragedy if they dumped them and started over, or do you think the new manager, whoever he is, that they'll go to him and, and or they should go to him and say, what can you do with these guys? Yeah, I, I think that's what they will do. I think they'll do the latter. I think that's you know they, they yes, you're right. They did they did net out last summer, but it's also you know it's still a big investment, and in terms of wages and contracts, all that sort of stuff. And I think there is a. There's a, you know there's an obligation to try and get to try and get the most out of them. I mean it just feels like it's untenable the, the sort of the, the turnover whether it's players or whether it's managers or or whatever at Tottenham. You know there's this feeling that they're they're so desperate to reach for the, the Champions League that they're kind of stumbling and falling. There does need to be a bit more consistency of of thought there that comes from the top and and, and trickles down. Uh, staying in North London, Arsenal uh, start the season brilliant. Well, start the season horribly. Then all of a sudden everything's brilliant again. The usual sort of highs and lows with, with Wenger. Does he have money? Why doesn't he spend the money? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, Stuart Robson would say there's no defensive strategy. James A., 
is this a club that's stale or is it a club that actually has bright things to build on and they're right in sticking with Arsene because he knows? No, definitely you would stick with him at the moment. Um, I think the FA Cup next week, if they did, did beat Hull, will be a big boost for them. That will get that monkey off the back for the, they haven't won a trophy for eight years. And I think they, they have slightly gone forward this season. You know, there were title contenders. I think if you look over the season, they were actually top of the league more days than any other club. Um, I think it was March. It was always going to be a big, big month for them. They had a, a terrible fixture list in March and they came short. And, you know, in the end of the day, they were, you know, when it push comes to shove they weren't really in the title race at the end but I think they just need to go that next step now they need to start challenging they need to be in the title race every season now and I think they can, I think if they can just get a couple of players have suffered with injuries I think Ramsey was a massive blow if you saw him yesterday how big a blow he was as well but I do think they're, they're, they have improved this year Arsenal George how much higher would they have finished with Ramsey all season long because I, I some opinions are kind of split I mean some people suggest that yeah, they might have finished third, but they still weren't going to challenge. Well, I, th- I think the point, I think the general point is is that they need greater resilience and depth to the squad. I mean, I, you know, they they definitely, you know, they did definitely did suffer uh, in the sense that you know Ramsey's form at the start of the season was so sensational. I mean, could he have carried that through for the whole season? Um, I don't know, but um, you know, they they suffered without you know that dynamism there. I think they need, you know, I think they need a bigger. A bigger, stronger squad, and I, you know, I agree with James. I think I think next week is is huge for them. If you know they felt like a kind of restless football club uh, over the last few years, winning a cup would, you know, would go some way to you know to to sort of releasing that tension, and then and then start again. But you know, they they definitely need more power in the team. You know, up, up front particularly. George, what do you, what do you think is the flip side? What if they lose the cup then? Well, then you know then. Then that carries on, and I, th- I think that would be—I think that would be hugely destabilising in, in emotive terms. I mean, it's you know it's very difficult, difficult to qu- kind of quantify these things, but um, you know I think I think there is that sort of build-up of emotion and tension there. If they win a cup, I think that reduces to a certain extent, and there's positivity to, you know, positivity. But if not, then people are going to be talking about Wenger's contract. They're going to be talking about why is he spending money, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I think it's an you know, in emotional terms, I think that's a very important moment for them. What about if they'd have pulled off the Suarez signing at the start of the season? How big do you think that would have been for Arsenal, Gab? Um, yeah, I, I think potentially it could have been something that, that would have put them... Because it's ridiculous, £40 million plus £1, but, you know, they, they shot themselves in the foot, really. If they'd have gone £50 million, which, to be fair to him, is, is worth that. Well, you know my answer to just about everything, James, is director of football. A competent person who knows what he's doing would have known exactly what the contract says, would have gauged the situation, would have done his homework on Liverpool, would have known whether that bid really would have released him or whether it would, uh, it would just simply be interpreted a different way, uh, which is ultimately what happened. As it, as, it, as it turned out, I thought they were kind of embarrassed by the... Um, by the Suarez situation. But do you not think that's the agent's fault? It was obviously tipped them off that he's got this contract that anything over forty million can get, and it wasn't quite a like serious that. Serious club it? does not rely on an agent to do the job of a director of football, and I think we no, saw. But it the agent Manchester. knows what's in the contract, doesn't he? Director of you football. Know, Liverpool Football Club aren't going to ring Arsenal up and say this is Luis Suarez's contract. I, this is his well, get-out clause. We know what's in the contract because it came out. It just came down to the legal interpretation of it, right? 
So you should know, you should get your ducks in a row and you should know that. And as far as agents doing the jobs of the director of football, I mean, we, we saw how well that worked out at Old Trafford uh, last year with that successful pursuit of Cesc Fabregas and Thiago Alcantara, which actually, James, you provide a natural segue to, to Manchester United. I don't think it's a, it's a secret that you have a slight affection for this club. Right now, you don't have a manager. We all assume it's going to be Louis van Gaal. Can you define success for me next season, regardless who the manager is? Can you can you put it into, I, not just league placement, but also what you would expect from whoever comes in for it to be a successful season? Got to finish in the top four. Have to finish in the top four. Just that. Well, you know, Manchester United really. If they spend two hundred million and play crappy football and they finish fourth place, so is that going to be like the bare minimum or? No, but what, what you have to, if you're a realist, which I am, they are so far behind at the moment, you know, and even even if you watch, you know, Ryan Giggs has come in and people think, oh, you know, he'll freshen it up. You know, they've been awful recently, you know, against Sunderland last week, absolutely dire. Um, Alison was at Southampton yesterday and said there wasn't great yesterday. So, you know, like Liverpool come from seventh to finish where they are, it hasn't been done for numerous years. So Manchester United have almost got to um, to sort of... <laughs> come from there really I, I just people are saying they need lots of players they don't need lots of players that they've they've got a squad what they do need they need two or three world-class players like Liverpool Luis Suarez is a world world-class player you know Yaya Torre for Man City is a world world-class player Manchester United now Rooney on his day when he's very very good is a world-class player apart from that I can't really see a lot else Alison one of the funny things is that if Louis van Gaal does take over Again, historically, he's not been the guy to go and do, to demand that the club go and get him the world, world-class player. Even when he was at, at Barcelona, he wasn't like that. He tends to work somewhat, somewhat differently. Um, what role is there for Sir Alex and uh, the so-called class of 92? Are they better off maybe distancing themselves even more from the new manager just in case the wheels come off? Uh, well, I don't think there's any room at all for Sir Alex, other than just to be another Bobby statue, n- another statue. Build, build another statue. Fate them. Have parties. Do dinners. Do fundraising. Don't let them be part of the decision making. It's it's never it's never worked in the history of football that the old guard medal and it work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You either go with it or you don't go with it. it even if someone of the stature of Van Hal, who you've described as being quite a arrogant as well as a genius and not to, you know he, even someone like that will be undermined will be undermined if people constantly looking over their shoulder saying oh no what sir alex thinks about it did he did he I mean, not that, but that? Do, do you not think the club could use him in the fact i.e to so say they're going to sign luke shaw so th- at the moment they haven't really got a manager so if alex ferguson rings up luke shaw and says you want to come play for Manchester United. Do you not think little things like that they could use Ferguson in that kind of role? Well, that's embarrassing. What you need? You why, need? Why you need the former manager to phone up a young no, but he's player. An, he's an icon to say, of the game. Come and play for yeah, us. He's an icon of the to game. To be fair, James, it's Manchester United. I mean, if Alexander Butner rung up Luke Shaw and said, <laughs> "Hey, do you want to come here and replace me?" 
I mean, he would go there, don't you think? But I think there's so many clubs, and I think the big fear for Manchester United now and, and supporters and everyone involved in the club is that they're going to do what Liverpool have done in the last 25 years, and that's just stagnate and go stale. And you can't live off the past. They'd have to sign Graham Souness to do that, right? Yeah, but you, <laughs> but you, can't, you can't live on the past. You can't think, oh, the, you know, the, the wonderful team when we won this in 80, such and such, and this, that and the other. You've got to move on, and if you don't move on... Well, there you go. If you move on, uh, quote you, they just said move but, on, but then you, you, don't, on. you don't look back. And, and make no, your great. What get you're involved. doing is you're now saying, right, this is your new. You're not manager anymore. You're not there, but this is your new role. You know, director of football. Do you not think he he would have the contacts in the game to ring somebody up and? Depends, I think, if he wants to do it. Ultimately, yeah, yeah, and we, yeah. We, don't, we don't know that. George, that's, you get the last word. Okay. Well, I was going to say, yeah. I mean, I, I think that this is precisely why it is fascinating because it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know, with David Moyes, they wanted the best of both worlds. It was a new era, but it was also one that was, um, you know, that was all about continuity, um, long-term, you know, so on and so forth. And obviously there were, you know, there were changes made, but that was what they were doing. They were trying to kind of replicate Sir Alex as much as possible. And, you know, they're now at at an absolutely fascinating point because... Um, do they do they continue to, uh, to to sort of use the class of '92 as you put it? Does Giggs have a role? You know, Neville scores. But they've done it. They've done it with Bobby Charlton. They've used Bobby they, Charlton for years. But yeah, do they? Have they, they used they, them? Do, yeah, or does he actually they, do anything? But do, do, do they have a part to play, or is it a is it a clean, fresh break? Is it a new manager who has his own ideas, brings his own people in? Um, you know, and then it feels like a very different football club. I'm not saying it's it's wrong or right, but it's 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 certainly fascinating. I, I, I personally think the class of '92 need to go away now and cut the teeth. That whatever they want to do, coach, manage, do whatever, they need to go and cut their teeth somewhere for three or four years, and then possibly come back. Everton, Roberto Martinez, um, or Roberto Martinez, as some people um, like to call him, we've praised this guy all season long. He played played great football. He played the long game brilliantly. What I wonder, George, is 
can you do it again? Can you trick clubs into, into hey, yeah, I'll take Romelu Lukaku <laughs> and Delefeo and, uh, and Gareth Barry for free. Uh, can you do that again? Well, I mean, that was the you know that was the first thing I was going to mention. I mean, Lukaku and Delefeo particularly have been absolutely you know have been absolutely brilliant. It's not. I mean, it, if you take if you mention out of Everton's team, you suddenly realise the scale of the task that that faces them. He'll be doing very very well. Um, you know, we, we know there's not a lot of money at Everton. The, the TV deal and the league position certainly, you know, certainly will help that. So they've got a chance. You would have thought to to invest, but we know he's a he's a canny man and a canny manager. But it's going to take a lot for them to be able to, you know, to, to replicate that. That is the that is the biggest challenge facing them because if you were putting if you were putting prices on those players, um, they would be out of Everton's reach. I think it'll be a hard season for Everton next year. Maybe Moyes will take over uh, some club in the United Arab Emirates and they can sell Leon Osmond to him for $50 million. That, 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 that would do the trick. Newcastle. George, Alan Pardew's there. Well, first of all, is he going to stay? Should he stay? <coughs> well, my mind has changed on this sort of pretty much every day. So, But, I mean, yeah, I think you know the noises coming out of the club at the moment are that he, stay, he will stay. He's ticked the top ten box only just only just um that was the minimum target for this season um there'll be a meeting with mike ashley this week um where you know i hope there's honesty from both sides there because they've you know newcastle's form in 2014 so far is relegation form no doubt about that equally you know they lost Johan goodbye in january they went through two transfer windows without a permanent signing joe kinnear i still can't get my head around that i mean he's not there anymore but but he was. There have been huge tactical uh, errors, and you know, part, at the moment, Pardew's relationship with supporters is is broken. If this was October, I don't see how he could continue uh, in his role. So, you know, there is now a natural break. So there's a chance for people to step back, and you know, they, they have. They, I think we probably said this about every club. They have a huge summer ahead of them. At Newcastle, they really do. They lose Remy. Shirley Obi is out of contract. They lose Luke De Jong. Not that he's got any goals. Papis Cisse is uh, injured for a few months, so they've got no senior centre forward on their books. So there's there's been noises, um, and it's they've come from all levels of the club that you know that they will invest this summer, and that outside of the top four six, they will be the biggest movers. But quite frankly, they need to be. That's not that's not a sign of ambition. That's just that's just them doing necessary housekeeping so you know they're at a pivotal point in there you use the word you know progress or journey under mike ashley but we'll find out a lot more about newcastle this summer what kind of football club he wants them to be at the moment it's an empty vessel it's a club that exists to exist um it's not been any fun being around it this season there you go but weirdly weirdly george and you're closer than me but from where i've been watching them uh pardew was more statesmanlike with Kinnear there, to, almost like he offered the the, the sort yeah. of the yin and yang. The, 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 it was like he rose to that challenge, and well, I, I, I th- thought he was really impressive the way he handled it because it could have completely yeah. undermined it and made him look an utter fool. And they played their best football when Kinnear was doing his silly soundbites. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. uh, how, why did that happen? Well, I mean, I suppose um, you know the simple answer. The simple answer to that was that. Kinnear being there strengthened Pardew because there was a there was another target. I mean, he, Pardew haven't had a good season overall. You know, there's the, there's the headbutt, there's the Pellegrini incident, things like that. But he also is under a lot of pressure there because he is the he is the one public voice of the football club. 
He's a one public face. Every single thing he says is picked apart and scrutinised. Now, he doesn't help himself by saying silly things or saying, you know, a bit too much at every, at every press conference. Um, you know, at the start of the, se- at the, start of the season, um, I think, you know, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think he came back kind of energised and leaner and meaner because of the whole Kinnear thing. He had to prove himself. He knew that there was someone waiting in the wings that could destabilise him. That didn't happen. But then after January, you know, they, they, they lost they lost Kabai. They lost the one player that that they were built around. There was then a you know stretch without Remy as well. And they, you know, you, you need momentum. They had, you know, I think Boxing Day or whatever, they were six. There was a chance for them to kick on. They blew that opportunity. God knows when that opportunity will come around again. And they, I mean, they've managed to cling on to the top ten, um, not through any not through any achievement of their own, but simply because the the teams below them have been, you know, have kind of all been in a relegation battle. Um, right. And because, you know, because they got they got points early on, but there's a there's a lack of clarity at the football club that needs to be that needs to be addressed. And there's also a lack of a big personality in the boardroom, which I don't think helps. James George was perhaps a little too diplomatic to uh, answer my question. The Newcastle Chronicle certainly uh, answered it, suggesting that um, somebody should make like a tree and leave. Uh, no, I think I, I, I mean I, I think he'll stay. I mean I think. I, no, yes, I, I, but would you would you boot him out? Boot him back to to London as somebody who cares about Newcastle Football Club? Would the club be better off without him and picking well, trying to find a new guy? Okay, well, well uh, if it was October, I think he would have to go, and I think the club would be better off for for, for letting him go. I mean, the, 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 the only reason why I can't give you a clear answer is because God knows what Mike actually will do. I mean, so. You know, it feels like a club that needs to be re- that needs to be refreshed. Whether it's in the dugout, whether it's on the pitch, um, you know, all the way all the way through it. So I would argue like that. My my one reservation at this at this point is that um, you know I don't want to I, I wouldn't want to get rid of Alan Pardew to bring in Dennis Wise. Right. Speaking of chickens, uh, let's talk uh, uh, England and uh, uh, debate and Greg Dyke's independent commission. Uh, they issued an 80-page report, which I know George downloaded and read scrupulously. Um, I want to just make a few things clear about this. The FA said that Greg Dyke's not saying, oh, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do it because I am, you know, El Comandante Dyke, and I can impose this on the game. He cannot do that. These are just things that he – these are basically just suggestions, And basically, he needs people to buy into the suggestions and implement them. If the Premier League, the Football League, and everybody else just says, no, Dyke, get stuffed, then these things won't happen. He says that the problem is there's too few English players playing top-flight football. He draws a parallel with Germany and Spain, who have, not only do they have fewer English players, obviously, but they've got a lot more um, domestic players playing in the top flight, playing for bigger teams. And he says, we have to get to that level. I'm wondering if there's a bit of a of a cause and effect thing here that maybe those guys play for the top teams because they're good and because somebody spent time to develop good players rather than simply saying that Germany and Spain are good because they have a lot of people playing for, for top teams. Absolutely. There's so much false logic in Dyke's report. Um, <laughs> I've gone the journey of thinking, oh, well, it's well-intentioned. Let's see if we can find something interesting in this to being really quite angry by its lack of intelligence if you're taught scientific method one of the things they'll teach you in your first lesson is that there was a study which said that uh, if you drink coffee drinkers get lung cancer 
there is a correlation there. Obviously, what's really going on is that a lot of people who drink coffee also smoke. You can draw you can draw conclusions from all sorts of facts and then lead them to mean something else. Spain and Germany have done better on the international stage than England. That's one fact. And then he's looked at things that happen in Germany and Spain and seen that uh, they have, as you say, say, Gab, there is a high proportion of the indigenous population in those top teams and that they have also B teams. And then he's drawn this, this, this fantastical conclusion that if England were to be the same, then the end product would be a World Cup and a European Championship and repeating it again. There's, no, there's absolutely zero logic to that. I was sort of pleased that the, that the debate's happening, even if, even if the debate, a lot of the debate is actually about saying, God, this is ridiculous. Um, I, you know, I think it's quite sort of encouraging that that debate was being had in the last, you know, the last week of the Premier League season, which, you know, normally sort of... Um, takes over everything i mean I, I but the key the key point for me is that that debate you know that, that debate carries on i mean i think we we would all agree that you know everyone cares about the england team once every two years when we get knocked out on penalties in the quarterfinals and then it's forgotten about when the league season comes back comes back round again so i think it was encouraging that the, the, the starting point of the debate was at a you know was at the climax of the season i mean that but you know there are there are so many flaws in the proposals from you know from my from my perspective. You can look at the game and how it's changed in the last twenty years. There were there was reserve team football was robust twenty years ago. If you were an English, if you were an injured footballer, if you're out of favour from the first team, you were playing the reserves. That just doesn't happen anymore. The gulf between reserve team football and first team football is now enormous, and it's all about it's all about pandering to Premier League teams because Premier League teams have enormous squads. They can. You know, seven players can go on the bench. Uh, there's no need for those players to, to sort of play that reserve team football to keep themselves, you know, creating B teams to fit these players in some ways is absolutely back to front. Is absolutely back to front thinking, in my opinion. James, I want to get you on this because obviously you are part of the system. Um, you, you coach kids. What struck me is sort of pre-Dyke, they spent a lot of money to create St. George's. Uh, the Premier League in, introduced the EPPPPPPPP plan, um, which was controversial, but I don't think has been given time to work. Were you a bit disappointed by this? Did you think that maybe as somebody who's actually there on the front lines working with kids, said, like, will you at least give us some time to to see what we can do and try to support us more? I, I totally agree with you. I think there's certainly a, uh, a case of people being impatient. You know, I, I've worked in the EPPP um, in academies for the last two years. The standard coaching is absolutely fantastic, and a lot of things are going on within the FA. It's better than what you had when you oh, were a, kid? a million miles better. A million miles now. We, we are now producing coaches uh, as good as any anything in the world now. I'd even say that youth coaches are probably better now than some of the people at the senior top end, um, from what I can see and what I've information I've gathered I think you have to give it 10 years and I think in 10 years even even now if you look at the England squad that's going to be announced today there's going to be some very good young England players in that Um, there is a a pathway problem you know somehow we're going to have to limit you know um, the players I think certainly bringing over youth players from abroad to fill up our academies is a no-no we just have to scrap that um, Although it's funny because so the homegrown rules, one of the proposals is to increase it for, to 13, um, uh, f- from 8 to 13 on Premier League squad lists. Well, 
it's kind of an incentive to bring in more foreign players yeah. from abroad because then you have a bunch of Gael Clichys who count as homegrown, right? Yeah, that's exactly what will happen. You know, opportunity is the is a big thing. There's now a study out now that players get to a certain point but will only get better by playing games, won't get better playing in training. So um, I actually think a B or competitive football would be good, but the B team, I don't think our culture would have it. I think it would be full of foreign players who would play in these B teams and still wouldn't get anywhere near a first team anyway. So it's almost a pointless exercise. Alison, you get the last word because of your undying admiration for Greg Dyke. <laughs> uh, if you want to impose quotas, first of all, first of all, since when did having uh, non-EU players be a bad thing? You know, we, there aren't that many Brazilians playing in the Premier League. Well, that's because there's already pretty stringent. Yeah, but it's ridiculous. ridiculous. Young players are learn from and are inspired by the best. So fix that if you don't think that's what's happening. I'm getting the last word, so don't interrupt me. And if you want to impose quotas, it gets too political and too negative and too small islandy. If you want to impose a quota, make it the rule that um, all academies have to be a certain size. Small academies are run better and they produce happier players and more talented players and better adjusted players. And it will prevent stockpiling. What you have now is clubs with large resources they hoover up players from their region with their talent ID people and then they put them in a barn it's a bit like one of those sort of apocalyptic um, <laughs> series you get from America they put them in a barn until they, they become fat and old and they, they can't play anymore if you had a, a rule that said you could only have X number of players in your academy you would make darn sure that you a, carried on with your talent ID, but only picked the very best and then looked after them. And then they would get the football they needed to then go on and win the World Cup with England. Over. That was the last word. All right, time now to for some quick hits. Everybody's favorite part of the show. Tim Sherwood invited a heckling fan onto the bench and even gave him his gilet. Wow. Uh, when asked whether the guy was in the running for the Spurs job, he said, nah, he's English. Alison, I like Sherwood. I think he's funny. I'll uh, miss him. Obviously not the right situation for him, clearly. Will you miss him? Do you love him? Do you want to see him back? It's, oh, it's a funny one. He, he's a godsend to journalists because he answers every question and he never answers them in the way you think he's going to. This is the man who had an array of talent at the club and you know could only think of two, two that he would consider to be a world class and then went public with that. He, he did put his foot in his mouth a lot and it's fun. But it's kind of embarrassing. I think what was the most interesting thing was that an awful lot of Tottenham fans weren't won over by his charm. Gus Poyet managed to keep Sunderland up. So there. He says he's going to meet Ellis Short soon and discuss next season. George, what will they talk about and what should they talk about? Well, they actually had their first meeting yesterday before the march and it was very positive. Um, Ellis Short did a little tour of the press room and he said, Gus is going nowhere, forgive the accent. <laughs> um, but there have been tensions in the last few weeks, understandably so, given Sunderland's position, that they need to be smoothed out. And when it comes to the nitty-gritty of uh, what they discuss, it has to be about making sure that they don't get themselves back in this position again. Um, Short acknowledges he made a terrible mistake uh, last summer with Roberto De Fanti coming in as director of football. There is still a similar structure there now. Um, it has to work between Poyet and Lee Congerton and there has to be huge improvements in terms of signing players. The mood is positive as we stand. Helena Costa will take over as manager of Clermont in the French second division next season. She becomes... Woo-hoo. What? Girl power. 
She becomes only the second woman to have coached a men's professional team. James, in your long, long footballing career, have you ever taken orders from a woman? Uh, more seriously, is this the sort of thing that once the novelty wears off, players won't really think of her as a woman and just think of her as the boss? I think they'd be frightened to death of her. <laughs> because all woman bosses must be scary? Yeah, exactly, exactly. I just when you, I read the question an hour ago and I've looked her up and you, know, you, you there's more and more people now coming into the game who, who didn't play the game or had limited playing experience but have studied the game and can coach and can manage and, you know, I think, why not? You know, she's successful and, you know, she's already worked at Benfica. She's scouted for Celtic. She's, you know, she's certainly got a bit of a background. So She's what? coached teenage boys and dealt with them uh, yeah. very effectively. So I think that's, <laughs> that's probably... Yeah, if she's got the knowledge and she can manage people, why can't she be successful? Woodrow and David sound like sleazy estate agents selling crappy properties. Uh, but in fact, they're two Fulham youngsters who scored against Palace this weekend. Alison, you told us about how good their youth setup was and about the brilliant man who left Southampton for Fulham. Uh, would you care to gloat since I was rather dismissive about them last time? And are these the people to take the cottagers back? Uh, there's no need to gloat. What I will say is that my son is a Fulham fan. And when I got back last night from Southampton and walked through the door... First thing he said was, do you know the Fulham result? And I said, yeah. He said, do you know who scored? I said, no, I don't. He said, right, I'll let, uh, that'll be the surprise on match of the day. And they've just gone down. It's, he's been through the depression already, and he's already excited about the fact that Fulham are going to give a chance to their young, excellent young players. That says it all. Villa fans want Paul Lambert, or Paul Lambert, as we used to call him, to pursue other opportunities elsewhere. It's not quite a Pardew situation, but George, would you swap a Cockney like Pardew for a good Scott like Lambert and one who wears glasses regularly? No, they both wear glasses quite regularly. Where they come from isn't irrelevant. Isn't relevant. If that's the choice, then no, I wouldn't. Uh, as I've already said, if but if this was October, uh, if this was autumn, you'd have to say that Pardew's position would be uh, untenable. There's a break now. That's in his favour, but it's not a relationship that can be patched up. It has to be rebuilt. Dwight Gale scored two goals to cap a storming end of the season after his brace against Liverpool Monday. James, I'm kind of confused about this guy. Great story. How good is he really? And does it mean anything that he cost a lot of money, disappeared for a long time, and then came back with bells on? Well, you've just described half the premiership, and you cost a lot of money, disappeared. <laughs> um, I watched him yesterday, and he was very, very good. He could have scored a hat-trick easily. I think he scored four goals in the space of six, six days, which is very good by any... Standard in the Premier League. I think the big problem that a lot of centre forwards have in the Premier League now is most teams play one up front. So all of a sudden now from the old 4-4-2, you've got so many centre forwards that are redundant or sitting on a bench. And I think this lad is, is one that's suffered because the one up front has to have a little bit of a physical presence probably. Gab, I have a question for you. Surprise, surprise. Javier Zanetti played his final home game on Saturday and you were kind enough to write about it, but do you, would you like to add anything to your thoughts? No, just this remarkable thing that um, he was genuinely one of those people, or still is, one of those people that everybody liked, even the opponents. If you were playing Inter Milan and you were going to boo somebody and criticise somebody, it was never hip. That and his sort of Dorian Gray-like quality, his freaky consistency... Between the ages of 30 and 39, he played uh, in 91% of Inter's league games, which is a complete absurdity. Another fantastic professional um, like Ryan Giggs, obviously his contemporary, for example, only managed 68% of, of United's league games. 
whatever it is uh, that Sonetti had or, or has, uh, if it could be bottled, you would be a very wealthy person. Now, that's all we've got time for this week. Many, many, many thanks to my guests today, Alison Rudd, James Gocroft, and from the great Northeast, George Culkin. We're all on Twitter. We all respond personally to every single tweet we receive, especially uh, Allison. So please reach out and share your views if you like. Now, a quick reminder, you can download the Times app. Even though the season's over, you can still go back and watch all the goals. It's a pretty neat, neat, uh, pretty nifty thing. We had our own goal of the season competition. I think the goal that I picked, nobody else seemed to like. Um, but um, obviously, a lot of people in this country seem to enjoy watching great goals from past seasons, so you may well get a kick out of that. Also, check out thetimes.co.uk to read some excellent writing uh, without having to go to the shops and get your fingers dirty. We're going to be back next week for our final podcast of the 2013-14 season. We'll be talking uh, FA Cup, England, and uh, assorted other goodies, maybe even Louis van Gaal. Who knows? Till next time, bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. Hi, I'm Tim Montgomery, the presenter of another Times podcast from the opinion pages called Did You Read? It's the perfect weekly snapshot of some of the best writing in the newspaper. Find out more by heading to thetimes.co.uk slash comment central and search Did You Read to subscribe on iTunes.